This is Fam Like a Ghost, and we are live on our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch channels with Mia Koo. And uh, we're glad to have her. This is the first time we've ever interviewed you on this program. And so we're happy to have you on the show. Thank you, Keith. So happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So excited. Well, we've been a podcaster since 2018. We mostly were on um, Anchor FM and Spotify. Uh, but now we've branched into YouTube and Facebook and Twitch. And uh, we still are on Spotify. We still are on uh, Apple and all these other ones as audio only. But now we have the added benefit of being able to do video and talk to people and actually see them on camera, yeah. which is pretty cool. Um, so we're going to actually cool. talk. <laughs> we're going to talk about one of your, <laughs> your new single, uh, Back in My Arms. And so we're going to actually queue it up. We got it queued up. We're going to kind of see it a little bit. So we got it in here. It's on In oh Bloom 2021. Yes, and, uh, In Bloom. Yeah, Let's so go, gonna... Marcus. <laughs> so Thank you for gonna... having me, Keith. Thank you. Yeah. It's awesome to have, have you know, to be able to talk to people. What we like to do on this program compared to the other one was is actually show and listen to people's music. We In this case, we don't have a video, but we are going to play the Spotify single in its entirety. Uh, so, so once we start it, we're going to put you on mute and then we'll have you come back. And then we'll talk about like the whole, your whole process of how you're, you know, you've been an artist and what you've done, your whole history, kind of do a behind the music kind of thing with you. Cool. So we're going to get into this single right now. We're going to put you on mute and then we're going to play your song and then um, we'll be back on the backside. We'll talk All right. About. Awesome. Enjoy, guys. Thanks, Keith. <laughs> so we're getting into it now. So I'm just going to put you on mute and then I'm going to kick it off. So in going to kick it off now. Just got to get in there and hit the button. Back in my arms. Here we go. Thank you. 
in my arms and we're back with Mia Ku and um we like to be able to show people you know what the music and actually have people hear it is one of the the things that we couldn't do in the audio only version of the podcast and now we can do that so that's um oh really yeah yeah no in the old audio podcast it didn't have an ability to play uh, music and inside the tool you just couldn't do it it would it wouldn't work right um, that's cool like Streamyard. that's what you're using um yeah, right yeah. you can actually do mpeg4s and youtubes and and we're using it for a, whole, a whole like we're going to be doing a concert with like 22 bands that we've talked in july and oh yeah gonna, you were saying that yeah they're all gonna okay be- well look <laughs> stay tuned guys we got a concert coming on uh yeah. what is it called uh, it's called the Peg or Phantom Electric Ghost Bedroom Producer Festival. Oh, I like that. And everybody who's um, been on the show since 2018, not everybody, but everybody that we've invited, anybody who's been on the show to come and perform. Some people are giving us like video performances. Some people are doing live. Uh, a lot of people are doing live. I would say like 70% of the bands are doing live and 30% are doing video. Um, so it's kind of cool. Oh, uh, okay. But we're like we can get into your whole background. We like to get into um, like we start at the beginning with every artist. So we ask them like like how did you how did you first get into music? I mean that's usually uh, you know people are so passionate about music, but like at what age did you start you know, in your music career? When did you start? So. I was probably like three years old, like when I was starting to sing Ave Maria by Schubert by my mom. And I couldn't go past the first phrase, I think, because it wasn't perfect. And I was working on my vowels for, you know, um, since three. So, um, you know, it started because of my mom, uh, actually. Um, she is classically trained and uh, went to Juilliard, Carnegie Hall, and was a concert violinist and also studied voice and went on to um, play with prestigious orchestras. Um, and, you know, like the New York Phil, Boston Phil, and 
uh, you know, a couple other really, I'm sure she could go on about it, but I got that from her. I grew up playing violin and a uh, typical Asian tiger mom, I guess, story. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, I'm half Chinese, so you kind of have to uh, fulfill. If you're not a, a, a musician, you're either a doctor or a lawyer. And my and, mother and is both as well. So. so you were doing cram school for, for musicians. Yeah, exactly. That was, I kind of just grew up uh, with classical music and I had a good program and uh, I went to Walt Whitman High School and in that they had an orchestra and they've had orchestra and um, the program since, uh, I don't even know, before six or around sixth grade is when they start um, doing that. And I, so I grew up in, in, in a classical world and um, definitely that I think shaped and gave me a foundation to explore other genres and um yeah you know i think i started i think a lot of musicians like start with the classical because it's like the basic and i started on the wind and right and i love that i think it's like super important like you have um a foundation and if you don't have a foundation you can't really I mean, well, it's, it's different yeah, for everybody, but it's good. It's good to have. I'm not saying you need to be a classical musician, yeah. but it's just, it's it's like having you know Kerrygold butter. You know, it's yeah, like an extra. It's you like know? the base. Like I mean, there's a lot of blues guys, right? There's a lot of jazz guys that might have just had natural ability. You guys like Hendrix and stuff. They had natural ability. Yeah. But but, but it's good to know how to sight read. I I did appreciate on my wind instrument being able to sight read. You know, right. And then I went and found as like, well, I can't really write pop songs on the clarinet because it's all I have is the treble clef, right? I don't have the bass clef, and and I'm not really, I can't do the chords. I'm mostly doing like lead lines, right? So, it's one voice instrument, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So so I said, well, you know, I went and invested in like keyboards, and I went and took classes and how to how to play piano, and then I realized I yeah. really want to play synthesizer because then. It's you know it's a writing instrument and you could you could learn how to play everything, um, right? So that's how I kind of and this is before DAWs. This is before digital audio workstations. I'm a child of the '70s, right? So I got a cast yeah. a little Yamaha. It's like 1978. There's no MIDI just came out. The computers aren't that good. If you're going to record, you record onto a Tascam four track or a Fostex. And that's how you record. You didn't have a DAW. You didn't have Garage Band. You didn't have Freeland. Yeah. And record. you better do it well, right? Yeah. You yeah. better not mess up, or else they're going to have to like redo the entire band. It's going to have to re-record everything. It depends well, that's on what, what you're they used to do. You had to do take ten, take fifteen. That's what. That's that's the right. Out, you know, I actually appreciate the old days of you know being coming from being a, a sight reader in a concert band, and then being yeah. in a marching band, and then being. You actually have to band. be good. You'd actually yeah, yeah. have to do what you're saying that you do, which is, you know, foreign now almost not to be, you know. Well, I, mean, that, would, I think it's a know. great equalizer. I think computers are a great equalizer in that people who are living in a setting where they can't have a live instrument because people would yell at them. Right. Like you can't have a drum set because your neighbors would yell at you. You can't. Oh, yeah. Because people will yell at you because you're in a, in a, in an apartment building. 
So having well, only if you're dance. bad, though. Only if you're bad. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> because I but, practice all the time. I sing opera, and not to say I'm good or anything, but um, I've been studying opera for the past two years in school and really trying to develop my operatic voice. My childhood was was spent developing my violin skills, um, and and being a pop rock person later on. But I. You know, I have a long story. I've been at it since three. So yeah, well, that's what we're, so you've been doing it since you're three years old. Um, yeah, I mean it? technically, right? Like I, I'm learning Ave Maria at three and can't go past the first phrase. So there's definitely. So you've been working on music since you were three years old. But then, when did you realize you know, you, you were on an instrument, and then you realized that your voice yeah. is an instrument? Um, did you so, realize that right away? Well, yeah. And I mean, I've always sang. So singing, I my mom said I came out singing. And um, I guess I was always a ham. I love to be center stage and whatever. Just be me, you know. And I don't know. Always have fun. So I guess I always did that. Um, and then eventually... Like, I learned guitar. Um, my mom was dating somebody at the time who was, like, my stepdad, eventually. And I learned guitar. I was enamored with Josie and the Pussycats. I literally was like, oh, my God. I saw the movie. I think I was 13. And I was, you know, used to playing violin and just kind of, you know, violin all the time um, in school. And that was my life and in competitions. And so I just you know, wasn't exploring anything else at the time. Um, but then I heard Josie and the Pussycats and I was like, so oh. was that an electric guitar or an acoustic guitar? It was a Fender um, Strat. Oh, I had a real Strat. Cool. It wasn't a Squire. Okay, guys. That's so, cool. yeah, I, 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 I kind of date myself. Like when you talk about Josie and the Pussycats, I, I remember the cartoon. Like I was a child of the 70s and I used to see the oh, Hannah yeah. Barbera cartoon. So when you say Josie and the Pussycats, I actually don't think about the movie. I think about the like the cartoon in yeah. like 1974. The or right. Yeah. <laughs> so um yeah, I loved them and I decided I was it was time to, for me to to do this and play guitar. And my mom's um fiance at the time, my kind of stepdad was um teaching me and we had I've like been I would practice all the time and it's similar to violin and I, I just ended up kind of playing a lot more. Um, I was then I started more into pop music. I mean, the fact that you were into Josie and the Pussycats, you went from doing classical right to into kind of pop. Yeah, exactly. Because I was like, you know, nobody at thirteen thinks like Bach is cool. Do you know what I'm saying? I know. No people want. You know, I I grew up. You know, everybody liked the the Beatles. Like I'm a yeah, child of like, the '70s. And like 72, 73, the Beatles still had this big impact, right? Almost everything yeah. that I grew up listening to was because of the Beatles, right? Like, so you had the Led Zeppelins, you had Rolling Stone, but it's because of the way the Beatles wrote the I way they the did that everything became deeper in pop. Like, the, the songs, yeah. struck, you know, people had albums like a Sgt. Pepper's or an Abbey Road, or, you know, you had <clears throat> bands like Pink Floyd. And so uh, everything was a lot deeper. Than maybe what we have today, because people oh. were, were doing like albums that really meant something, you know, like even like the Carpenters. I love Karen oh. Carpenter. I used to listen to the Carpenters albums in my like 
And I was a little boy, a little kid, and I was like, I was kind of crying from her voice. <laughs> I know. I think she. I mean, I've I've just felt the same way about her about her. So I mean, powerful. her so her voice is so haunting. It's just. But even when she's singing something happy, there's like a melancholy in it. There's, there's, there's like a melancholy in her voice that's there like all the time. And and it's beautiful, but it's painful too, because yeah, now you know what happened to her. But like even during right. the time before, you know, we didn't know what was gonna happen to her. We just said, Well, this this woman's voice is so unbelievable. It was it's so like our tortured souls beautiful. Yeah. Was she beautiful because, or, or was that a factor, you know, Yeah. because she was, you know, but rest in peace, Karen, we love you. And such an inspiration, I think, to like me. Yeah. For that was my grandmother's, one of my grandmother's favorite um, artists was uh, the Carpenters and my mom. So I grew up listening to them. So. Oh, so, this so good. Song craft, if you think about pop music, right. And you think about the Carpenters. And you think at the level of like capability, like her brother Richard Carpenter would create these awesome piano arrangements that are like you, you may you, you get like a Billy Joel or Elton John, he's like in that same kind of zone. I mean, he's writing these really beautiful chord arrangements, and it's like you know, he worked with songwriters, but he like reinterpreted what they gave him. He worked with like a Neil Diamond and he'd rewrite it to fit Karen's voice. And um, wow. it's just unbelievable. The, the level, I just appreciate that kind of artistry. <laughs> oh, for sure. I think it's like the top. The top of the top is yeah. is what we're talking about. So hopefully one day, you know, we're going to get to the top, guys. So keep yeah. listening to Miyaku and keep. Well, I know that you, you put a lot of, you, I mean, you come from a background where you've got like, like the, the, the bones of, of understanding music. And if we look into your background, maybe we can talk a little bit more about like when you professionally got from, you know, wanting to be like cloning a Josie and a Pussycats, you got, you got your guitar. Yeah. So when did you get your first opportunity or somebody noticed what you were doing and give you that opportunity? Well, I guess the biggest thing for me was the plain white tees. So I was 15 and I met Tom Higginson from plain white tees. I think I was like 15 around that age. And he was a mentor to me. And we ended up, I was going to his shows as a fan. And eventually, I guess, you know, enough shows and we started talking and I think I was so young. I would go with my mom, like, and my aunt, you know, like they would be taking me and my sister to see like our favorite rock band. And it's like turned out that that rock band would be supporting, you know, one of the biggest singles I had when I was 15. And that was crazy for me. You know, I got all these, it was a multi-platinum um, and they were Grammy nominated that year. And it was just like, I was 15. Um, well, how, how I mean, how did you get that close to the, the, that uh, somebody in a band like that? It was like I went to the shows and one day I played a song for Tom, the lead singer. And after, like, I don't remember. I think I went and took their guitar and I played them one of my songs called Black and White. And I was actually in a band that Tom later produced. 
and we were on tour for, I don't know, five or six years or more on and off. Um, and that was in my teen years from probably like after high schools when like we actually like went. Um, so I was 17 because I graduated a year early, 16 or 17. I'm not sure, but around that age. So I met Tom just like through going to his show and then I played him some music and I was like, Hey, do you know any producers? I'm a singer songwriter. I want to like do oh. something with this, you know, and I really love the music and it was rock music at the time. But you were uh, able to meet him because you were in a band. Like you had been in a band. Is that why you were able to get that close? To no, him? you know what it was? They were so cool that they would go and meet their fans. If you know Plain White Tees, everybody knows oh, that. They meet and greet at the meet and Yeah, table. they're chill. Like they will go and talk to every fan. Like oh, I'm that's pretty cool. cool. That's yeah. Really cool. Like I from them too. Like they're nice guys. Like when I met them, they were not like pretentious. They'd be at the merch table every time they would yeah. play. And then they would be like, come meet us or, and say stuff like that. And I think, yeah, it was really support, like supportive to me to like meet like my idols, like have them like toss to me, yeah, let them play awesome. a song, you know what I mean? And then produce yeah, yeah. And I mean, and you don't always you. get to, to meet the band because sometimes the bands have yeah. layers and you can't get to them, right? You might be able to get to a merch table, but they're actually not at the merch table. Right. <laughs> the, band, the band's like, they're off the stage or gone, right? But a lot of smaller bands or even bands that are cooler. Um, but this I was think before Hey There, Delilah. So this yeah, was yeah. before their big song. And then I had a, two songs on that same album that of Hey There, Delilah. So that was, you know, before I think they like blew the hell up. Like Hey There, Delilah is a hit like across the oh, world. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, yeah. the shows that they guys. were playing at the Knitting Factory, you know, <laughs> they're playing these small kind of like couple hundred venues, couple hundred oh, people. Oh, yeah. They weren't at just like, like 10,000 people. That's so what I mean. And then I met them and then they blew up. So, yeah, so it was kind of like harder. right time, right place. And I met Tom and he's still one of my good friends um, to this day. Okay. So what's up, Tom, if you're watching this, everybody go check out <laughs> Million Myler. He just released a new album, by the way. So check it out, guys. Million Miler is Tom's new side project. It's really good. Like, really good. You stayed in touch. Yeah. It's, it's cool to actually get those type of connections, you know. Uh, you know, I think musicians, like, that's what I, I spend a lot of time, you know. I'm a musician, but I talk to musicians on my podcast. And one cool yeah. thing I like to do is actually, we've had people on the podcast actually like an interview and then go and 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 go find that person and go work with that person. So oh, my God. I had, okay. I had guests that go and say, hey, I really dug that person you interviewed. And they go on their own and say, hey, you know, Keith interviewed me. I, I like your scene. And then they go, they start working together. That's I think cool. it's really cool for um, artists to kind of cross collaborate or, you know, me. And if, if I can help engage that, you know, it's always, always good. That's what, what we like to do. But, um, well, you're doing a great thing just by doing these shows and connecting people. And I think it's really cool. Like, I think I told you this off the show. It was like, Keith, like, this is cool. <laughs> like, you're just connecting all these people. And normally, and you're an artist yourself. And normally artists just go ahead and do their interviews and go ahead and do their life. But you're like, you're like making a business out of this. I'm like, okay, Keith, you know, well, so keep following guys. Cool kind of like, I, for a lot of years, I just totally was heads down into my own work. And then I said, you know, maybe I should pay it forward and actually take some of my time and actually talk to other artists, right? So back in 2016, 
Uh, yeah. What happened was this guy found me, right? This guy found me on this other podcast platform that doesn't exist anymore. And he found my SoundCloud and he said, hey, man, you got like tons of material. And I said, yeah, I'm kind of crazy. So he interviewed me on his podcast. Oh, my God. And then I said, then I said, well, what happened? I wonder if I would go to my Instagram and anytime somebody liked one of my songs, I said, maybe I should interview them. Right. So then I started. I, I post all this stuff on Instagram and I said, well, anytime somebody that's an artist ever likes my stuff, I will go ping them back and ask them, Hey, do you want to get interviewed on my podcast? And that's my pitch. And I've been using that pitch yeah. since 2016 and I get three, four guests a week without, wow. agent, without anything. I just, that's what I do. I just naturally, somebody likes my stuff or I like their stuff. And then I ask them, Hey, you want to be on the podcast? And yeah. I don't deal with an agent. I just go directly to the person. I mean, I would probably say like out of 70 people I've interviewed, I've only had to talk to three agents. I've talked to people directly wow. because I'd rather do that. You know, sometimes yeah. people force me to talk to their agent. And I'm like, okay, fine. But but I like to just do it direct. Straight because to the source. I, I hear that. It. it feels better. You know, if I can just talk to somebody and say, explain what's going on uh, without yeah. having you know, the layers. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, you're doing such a good job and I'm super honored to be here and thanks for asking me. So. So that's cool. So you're playing white tees and you got a connection and you got on the record, you got, you did work. So what, what came from yeah. there? Like, give me the so, sequence. Yeah. What did you say? Just give me this, the sequence of events that happened after you, you had that opportunity. Like what? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I had two songs on that album, which I think it went gold. Um, and yeah, so I got a um, what is it? A uh, a lot of publishing deal offers. So because that right. album sold so much, and I had two songs on it, and I was what? Did, did you what? get agents coming to you after you did that? Did people come to you? Oh, yes, exactly. So I yeah. had Universal, Warner Brothers, I was talking to um, Royalty Network, who I'm with, um, a couple other indies. I had met with all the other managers before then for artist deals. So I had been around the block, you know, like people, people kind of knew me. They, I, I was in a band called Kung Fu Girls that, you know, mm -hmm. Plain White Tees produced and we had been touring and working it on my space and trying our best to be you know known you know so uh we were working it wait what was the question <laughs> no i guess there's a, i'm just following like the the next stage because you were able to get on an, a big album you got yeah. people paying attention to you, you got people wanting you to, to get into publishing with you wanting you right. to do songwriting so, like, how did you pick, like, your next opportunity? Did you kind of have to go through things and figure out which one you should do and which one you shouldn't? Yeah. Did you get an agent that kind of said, hey, you should do this, you shouldn't do that? Did you have anybody helping you? So, touring-wise, we actually, you know, through the Plain YTs, we got on with APA as a booking agency. So, mm -hmm. we were with them, um, and they booked a couple tours for us, um, but that was only for maybe like a year or two. So that was kind of the touring side. Um, and that was through Tom who helped us get that. Um, thanks, Tom. This is like the Tom Higginson interview. <laughs> I can't right now. <laughs> um, no, but he was super pivotal in my life.
life. And this is part of my story. Um, it's good dude, to have somebody that helps you. Like, it's really cool when there are other artists that, you know, they don't have to, but they help another artist and they launch it and they maybe yeah. they talk about it. They just like we went on tour it. with them and they helped us go on tour with them and APA set those tours up. So um, that was cool. And with uh, the Frantic, I think it was another band and Tree of Paris and uh, we had independent tours. So, but what came out of that was the publishing deal with Royalty Network is who we eventually ended up signing with. So mm. we were in the talks with uh, Universal and a couple other that I mentioned before, but that we wanted to be with somebody who we knew, you know, is one thing to go major, but there's a lot that comes with that. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of times it, if you go major like, and you don't hit it big, then you get dropped. Right. Like, yeah. And what is that percent? Sorry guys. Like my friend musicians who went major, a lot of them do with a lot of BS too, I think, and get shelved constantly. Not yeah. just because you're smart to a major doesn't make it like any better than like a really good indie, you know? So Royalty Network, even though they weren't a major, I knew that they had, you know, they were legit and they were good and they have great clientele. And um, they still get me jobs to this day. That's how I'm in the trans field. So thank you, Royalty I, Network. I think that's you know? really why a lot of people are indie, why a lot of people do indie work. Because if you think about it, right, if you try to get with a major, right, and they're trying to get you to like sell 500,000, million, 2 million, right? Right. And then it's like, the problem is, even if you think, my example is this all the time. You think about Prince, right? Purple Rain sold $8 million. Then Warner Brothers basically tried to say, Prince got to hit that mark all the time. And the thing is, when you're an artist, even if you're big, like the Eagles never hit bigger than Hotel California. Prince never hit bigger than Purple Rain. You always drop down, right? So even yeah. when you got a guy like a Prince, he'll sell $8 million on Purple Rain, $2 million on Around the World in a Day. Maybe five million on Diamond and Pearls. He never hit eight million again. You, you don't. And if you get in a major, they have this expectation right. that you're going to hit that, and it's not realistic. You're most likely your biggest thing is always going to be your biggest thing, and then you might be able to settle into a million, two million here and there. You know, and maybe and the point is, that's not your money. That's not your money that they're giving you. Do you know what yeah. I mean? You yeah. have to pay them back. Like, yeah, yeah, that's the problem. Because then they, end, it's like yeah, a credit they, card. Yeah, they basically you know? give you an unrealistic expectation that somehow you're going to hit that again. Like you're the Eagles and you're going to do Hotel California ten times. Like, that doesn't happen, right? It doesn't I mean, happen at, at the cost of what? At the cost of your music sound? At the cost of listening to every A and R meeting? You know where they're like annoying the hell out of you? <laughs> Yeah, because it's like you're never gonna hit the the zenith of your career. You know, once in a while you get an artist that can do it, right? But it's very rare that you actually have multiple zeniths at that level. You, you usually don't. And it, yeah. you know, when they gear you, what I like about indie companies is that they'll realize like, hey, you you're gonna sell like fifty thousand, a hundred thousand, and then you can you can still work, right? You could still do tours you you have people that will still be able to work because they don't have unrealistic expectations for what they're doing they they want to yeah. be happy they want to be able to work but they don't go crazy in debt thinking that you're going to hit this number that you're never going to hit yeah and i don't know i mean 
I guess it works for so many people that did it. So, I mean, I know a lot of people who went the major route, like, like play white tees, for instance, like play white tees that worked out. So I'm not, you know, but also yeah. there's still not a Hollywood records today, you know, not to say, but I think that there's also, you know, a time limit to like certain genres too. Like when you get older, you have to like, you know, they're starting a Hollywood records. So you, you're, you're 40 years old and then you have to write certain songs or you're, you know, even yeah, myself. Yeah, you can't I'm keep going. on doing, like, if you're a teeny bopper, right? You're only a teeny bopper for a while, right? So right, and that was my music. It was yeah. young because yeah. I was young. Everybody so transitions. Evolving. That's right. Everybody evolves. If you think about the Beatles, right, help, right? They were like a teeny bopper band. They were like the original boy band, right? The yeah. first Beatle records, they're like doing these things like help and you know all these songs that really aren't that they were fun but they weren't like sergeant peppers they weren't like the white album right so they yeah. evolved they evolved into a really powerful songwriting deep songs that when they first started they weren't like that and i think what yeah. if, if some people have an expectation that they're going to be like in this mode like when you were 18 or 19 or 21 when you had your hit that somehow you're going to keep on doing that when you're 34 or you're 28, you know, you, you can't, it's hard right. on the same label or, you know, and you're a completely different person. I mean, I've been studying opera the past two years, so yeah. I'm changing my sound it's all the hard. time. And I think that's. Well, you're in a totally different genre. That didn't yes. exist. It trance didn't exist yeah. when you were doing what you were doing. Right? When you first started, that didn't exist. Or I guess it did exist. I mean, cause tr for me, at least in my career, but mm -hmm. it was in the 80s, right? I feel like trance has been around for a while. Is that what you mean? What do you mean? No, but trance, it wasn't really called trance in the 80s. There was more new wave. Oh, okay. See, this like, is where I'm I I'm an electronic musician. So, so okay. like, there, electronic music started with like new romantic, then became new wave. Okay. Then became like, but modern electronic music has trance and EDM. It really wasn't known as that in that oh. time. Or new romantic. You know, if you think about Duran Duran, Flock of Seagulls, 80 right. music, that is called New Wave or New Romantic. Um, okay. Yeah, bands like Pure, Depeche Mode, those type of bands. Yeah. That's not trance, that's New Wave. And and modern trance yeah. is a different variation. It comes from that old, that, that all electronic music kind of comes from a certain place. But but there's certain periods that are, are very distinctive. Like where you have like, you know, EDM, bass, heavy trap, you know, like trying yes. to the industrial, okay. the different periods happen at different time periods. And so trance is kind of like a more modern variation of electronic music. Okay. See, I'm I'm also, you know, I'm not the expert, you know, in <laughs> trance either. So I, I've been writing for it and I'm starting to understand more. And as I go, so I'm like, okay, because there's all these different subtypes. So yeah, yeah, it's like psych, which is like a psych. Because like there's like a psych um, psychedelic version of trance called psy trance. Yeah, I've heard of dark it. wave. You have since is that wave. what you do? Like psy? Could you do psy something? Your stuff. Well, I do like psy trance, and more. My stuff is really like a variation of industrial and new wave. Okay. <laughs> if you think about okay. bands like Nine Inch Nails, like Nine Inch Nails is an industrial okay. kind of punk, cyberpunk kind of band, like Trent Reznor. I kind of don't know their music. Um, no, they're, they're kind of dark. They they have kind of a okay. punk edge, but um, 
Yeah, there's different types of like electronic music. Some some types of electronic music are more kind of guitar heavy, and, and still have yeah. guitars in it or have a lot of power in it. And some of them are yeah. more dance. I do more like psych psychedelic guitar focused kind of punk background or maybe even progressive. Um, okay. A band like a Genesis or a Yes, or like my okay. inspirations are like the older electronic bands, like print, like uh, like if you think about older electronic music, you think about like you know, uh, Pink Pink Floyd's what comes to mind. Um, you know, band like okay. Yes, band like Genesis, like when 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 Peter Gabriel used to be in Genesis, because he actually used to be the lead singer of Genesis before Phil Collins. I um, kind of don't know any of these bands. Like I know yeah. the names, but it's like. Yeah, well, that's the heavy electronic. I'm, I'm, that's what I'm into. Okay. <laughs> that's the original electronic music that trance comes from. Oh, okay. Well, I need to do my homework because to me, trance is 128 dance music. I try to keep it pretty yeah. diatonic. And then I write like a pop dance song that could be like a majestic. I had to Google it actually. Yeah, because like, it's a certain, it's a very, very, it has a very distinctive style. It's kind of, kind of narrow in its structure. Uh, like some forms of modern electronic music are more narrow in their focus. They have certain structures, yeah. kind of like disco. Like disco is a very focused genre. It has a certain right. set of beats, right? Trance is the same way. EDM is the same way. Yes. If you get into yeah. other types okay. of electronic music, they're more open, right? So they, they can cross genre. So you can have rock and and you could have punk and you could have classical and jazz mixed into some other types of electronic music. So it's not all one thing. How it's cool is that? So I'm definitely trance. Yeah. Yeah, definitely you're in a structure of trance and I can hear it. Um and that's cool because that that is a big popular, you know, it's in the clubs, it's what people are, are kind of into. It's kind of like disco, the modern disco. It's like what's beat focused. Yeah. But there's a lot of beat folk, and you know, people used to call it techno. Like, you know, when the new wave first came out, then they got techno, and then techno was kind of a variation of new wave, and now you got trance, and you got, you know, all this other stuff. Deep house. Oh, my Lord. Then yeah. you got techno. That's right. And that's yeah, techno like, is a that's little bit, techno is before, is before trance. You know, it's, 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 it's like oh. a, trance comes out of that, too, but it all goes back. Um, was back in okay. the day but it's like you know it's just cool to um to understand you know the flow of these things because it kind of goes like in this age people take multiple genres you know people will take like an old 1920s genre and throw it into an electronic song they'll take a flapper that. song and yeah. throw it into to a modern song right they'll take a country song and throw hip-hop into it you know though right. there's there's all the, that happens so in pop and in many um, things too, right? Like, I guess I'm, I, when I think of all those things, it's like coming together that happens like everywhere now. I mean, it's like, what else is there to do, I guess? Like, well, besides just <laughs> I think cross genre is like the way to be the way forward because I think that the, if you remember, disco died because people kind of got tired of it, right? So if you really? if you have a genre and you do it to death, then you know some people have said that like EDM with the drop eventually could become boring if people don't innovate. 
right? Because because if you always yeah. have the drop in the same structure and you have the same structure all the time, eventually people say, well, it's kind of boring. I want something new, right? So That's what's true. cool is to actually take multiple forms and say, what if I took EDM and I threw a little hip hop into it, right? What if I took EDM and I threw psychedelic rock into it or I put punk rock into it? Then you can extend it and make it turn into something else. Um, and so that's kind of like, you know, producers want to, they're trying to future think. You try to push things in multiple directions and not be in a box, you know. I love that, though. That's what makes music different now. You know, everything coming together. It's like a melting pot. You could do yeah, any genre. Wanna, <laughs> you want to be if you want to do the BGs, you could go do the BGs. Right? You, if you want to go and, and bring back Saturday Night Fever type sound, you could do it. And people, you'd have an audience that would like it, you know? And yeah, so you, and it could be really good. I mean, for yeah. sure, I found myself always trying to, like, pull different things. Because if you do the same genre, you know, you're only writing in one genre. Like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Like you gotta like switch it up and combine everything. There's good stuff from all different kinds of music. So yeah, I think, I think just, just I think as an artist, you know, as as a musician, I get bored, right? So like a lot of you know, being a keyboard player, I like to play, you know, classical and jazz because those two right. forms kind of challenge you. And it's, there's so many different periods in jazz. So if you say yeah. you do jazz, right? But there's like hip, there's bebop, there's right. fusion, there's Afro. There's, there's all the blues. Tons, yeah. yeah, there's tons of forms, right? So you totally. can, yeah, you don't get stuck. You can you could go and you could you could jump with somebody that's doing like Mingus. You could jump with somebody that's doing like uh, Miles Davis. You could do Coltrane. You could do, you know, yeah. you, you have so many different ways you can go. It's hard to get bored, you know? And so... It's like to me, it's like if I'm a, if I want to play and I want to get really like uh, you know challenged, I'll go play with a bunch of jazz guys because then that's going to force me to to play better. <laughs> that's true. Well, as as a classical person, though, you're either classical or jazz usually. So I don't know anything about jazz. Like yeah, I just it's not form. my yeah, scene. Usually, but I appreciate it. But it's like you're either go the jazz route. Or you go the classical route, and they're very distinct, and they don't oh, yeah. do this. I feel like yeah, it's weird because it seems like the classical guys kind of like, oh, I don't, I can't do jazz because they don't think it's like, like legitimate. Well, <laughs> they, jazz... it's not that. It's just such a different approach. It's like I feel like classical is how perfect can you play one note, and jazz is how fast can you play a million notes. Do you know what I mean? It's just a different world. Like, yeah, yeah, but it also can be like like jazz can go very slow. It can yeah. be very moody. It kind of depends. Yeah. Like you're in the bebop. Yeah. Bebop jazz can be very slow and very melodic, and it can take in all kinds of forms. Like you can go and suddenly throw in some show tune theme and That's then true. throw in like a Bach theme and then mix it up yeah so the thing about j jazz is freeing because you can fall you can throw many many forms into it and you can have structure just as tight as classical and then go off and be dis dissonant you could go and do dissonant you could go and do something melodic you could come back you can change time signatures you can change keys in the same song in the same way that 
classical does too. And so it yeah. has the, you have to have almost the same skill set as a musician to play it because it, it can be very complicated. Um, but it, oh, yeah, it, it, it's not that it's not complicated. I guess it's like just two different schools of thought and historically as well. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, I, it's just it's just different. And I mean, they do come together, I guess, like with. When like, who's a good example? Um, Gershwin, you know what I mean? Yeah, Gershwin. Like, yeah. Stuff like that. Like, yeah, yeah. Dave Brubeck Quartet did stuff that was like, you know, really a Dizzy Gillespie. Uh, you get, you get you know, these big band, the big band jazz bands right. in the forties have yeah. a lot of orchestration, a lot of, a lot of stuff exactly. is written down. So they yeah. have, they had like set songs that are written down as yeah. tight as classical music. Yet some jazz bands were very tight and they play the same thing every night. And they had, it's true. They had that the was music. Back in the day. But maybe yeah. nowadays, I don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> but, they, but music is just not in that direction anymore, or maybe not in the vein that, or where I know, or I need to like do more research or something. Well, there's like <laughs> but, like every yeah. form of jazz still exists. So you have the ones that are like the 1940 bands. You have yeah. modern fusion bands that are very kind of psychedelic jazz, kind of freeform jazz that's very dissonant and kind of weird goes off and okay. does stuff that's not melodic. Um, but then yeah. you have, yeah. So I'm, I'm into experimental jazz that goes off into these non-melodic things. But then, right. like, like I said, like every genre is open and there's multiple forms of jazz. And there, some forms of jazz are closer to like classical structures and some of them are more right. dissonant exactly. and more experimental. And dissonant. Every, yeah, every, everything that's out there is kind of like out there. Like, but I respect jazz musicians, even though I'm classical. Do you know what I mean? Because it's hard to be out here as a musician. It's hard to yeah. do what we do. So I'm not, you know, I and I love jazz. I like seventh chords. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's just interesting when you get into the, like the whole history of music is is really, uh, you know, people try to stay in a lane, and then you find out that you're you bring little elements to everything you know, is kind of where things end up being. Like, yeah, you know, and hey, that's what we were just talking about, the melting pot, right? Like, it's like, the more you know, and I think a certain way, because I know certain things about this, and other person knows something about this, and another person knows something about that. You know what I mean? And then we all come together, and then we have the radio. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's like, it's a real talent to do pop music, because like, pop music, is very or or music that's more beat focused or something that's gonna get like a lot of mass uh acceptance right so so if you're a musician and you're trying to do music that's actually gonna get you know you know it's gonna get acknowledged radio people, play you know, or, yeah, radio yeah. Play. there's a certain skill set to that that that's a right type of writing skill right and if, if you're Completely. an experimental musician you can say well you know, some experimental musicians will look at that and say, well, you know, I don't want to do that. But then you're like, it's like, it takes a lot of work to make something that people want to listen to. <laughs> you know? Right. It's true. I mean, you might think, and sure, like there are some really awful songs, which I completely agree with you. And, and the notion that this simplicity is, is boring. But I think that it's really what you do with those notes. Do you know what I mean? And if it's yeah. catchy, 
good for you. Then you've done a good job. But there's a brilliance in getting people to to like like the beat, you know, to, to yeah. like your, your melody right. and make it, you know, to get in the top 10, top 20, top 100, you know, that's a, that's a certain skill set. And, and it's, a, it's a, you know, you, you people can kind of put their noses up to certain the artists were like, well, I don't want to do that. Like, okay, fine. But you got to acknowledge that in that zone that producers and musicians and singers that can be in that zone and be on hit records, that, that, that should be respected. Just as much as somebody does something that's like experimental and they get really good praise from the music magazines, but they don't sell anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like it's, sure. a it's a different thing. You know, it's like okay, it's are you trying to get... exactly? I mean, everybody likes different music as well, so it would yeah. be like foolish to say you know one would be better than the other. I think because there's networks and markets for everything. You know, yeah. so you don't know, but. I, I know what I do and, you know, I stay in my lane or maybe so I, I go, I'm in the classical pop lane. That's where I am. So I well, stay there. That, that is a little, <laughs> not, not the norm though. You think it's like not everybody's like in the classical and then in pop. So that is kind of a, a little. It different. is. It's odd, but um, I, it's a very Long Island, New York thing, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I think the whole New York experience and the fact that there's theater in New York, you have Broadway, you do have access to like the big, big um, classical, you know, concerts that you can see. Yes. So you can see these big, you know, orchestral happenings, right? Because you're That's in a, right. You're in I mean, there's yeah. all those bougie places, you know, and, and the school I went to and I mean, the access that I had. To some of in Los Angeles or San Francisco, if you're in New York, you have you know Boston, you have access to that, right? There's certain cities right. where you have access to a to an actual orchestra. You have you know that they'll they're actually yes. going to you know have this Philharmonic Orchestra. You're going to have the Boston or or New York. Um, so that gives you that audience, just in the same way that you know you have Broadway and all the actors doing the off Broadway plays and you know you have yeah. theater and you have film and in long know. island new york it's the scene from growing up um when i did and i'm 30 um it was rock it was pop rock and you know mm -hmm. music like the plain white tees around was really popular in long island like taking back sunday bayside where yeah. i'm from that kind of like emo screamo rock was really popular and my band, we were like this kind of like bubblegum pop, more like Plain White Tees meets like Kelly Clarkson, like well, meets cool. like the Strokes. You know what I mean? Like we were yeah, kind of yeah. like I'm, I'm and pop. So we we liked what we did, but in Long Island it was very screamo. You know, so in my community, we had a lot of like people who were mean to me. Like I was bullied um, for oh, being wow. like pop. Being too um, pop. Yeah, well, you had to win all the contests around around town we'd enter them and we'd beat the boys and i'd go you know i was in high school and like battle of bands and whatever mm -hmm. or you know even the john lennon songwriting contest we won second place by the way when we should have won first and they told us on the bus they were like by the way we have to like you we were gonna like let you guys win but uh we're giving it to somebody else Oh, like, who says this? Like, Wait, they have to give it to the boy band to make them feel good? Did they have to give it to the boy, the guy band? Yes. To make it? Yeah, yeah. Seriously. 
They yeah. gave it to another freaking band in my high school. That was a John Lennon songwriting contest. I mean, we got all this free gear. We got microphones. We got a PA system. We got, I think, like a digi design. I got like a freaking mixing board. Or was that Sam Ash? I'm not sure. We had a lot of sponsors from that one show that that's ended cool. up sponsoring us. But we should have second place. <laughs> but that's the kind of stuff that would happen. I don't know if it was because we were women, because we're Asian. I don't know. But that wasn't right, John London songwriting competition. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's always a problem because, you know, I had an issue where, like, you know, I was doing, like, I'm in, a like, an African-American band. We were playing, like, punk music. And people were thinking we're supposed to play soul music, right? And, and we, we're kind of getting pigeonholed because I like the Clash, right? I like the Sex Pistols. I like the Ramones. That's, that's so horrible. So, that's so, they, so we, we, we would go in and people were like, well, you know, you guys aren't supposed to. It's like, what do you mean? And I, like, I always told them, like, well, Chuck Berry was a rock and roller. Lil Richard was a rock and roller. Jimi Hendrix was a rock and roller. So why can't I be a rock and roller? You know? Racist. Yeah, yeah. The idea that a black band can't play rock is like, really? Do you not know who Jimi Hendrix is? <laughs> right. Like, have you not heard of Prince? Like, where are you? Where are you going? It's like, why, why is like, like, I was during the, the period where people were thinking like, you know, you could, you, you could only be rock and roll if you're like Ozzy or Eddie Van Halen or Metallica. And people were start, starting to like forget about Hendrix and forget about Lil Richard and. I mean, where and, do you think rock and roll music came from? The blues. Yeah, where do you yes, think I'm the blues saying. came from? Slavery. Yeah. Black yeah, people. It, it used to, like, to freak me out because I'm like yeah. I'm really heavy into like heavy, heavy like rock, like Zeppelin type stuff, like Aerosmith type stuff, and and people were like, "Well, well why aren't you doing like Luther Vandross?" Like I like Luther. Yeah, I, I like it. Like, I like soul music. I like Marvin Gaye. But not every Black artist is going to do that, right? So offensive. Yeah. So offensive. like, you know, there's always going to be a guy that wants to be like a Lenny Kravitz or like a Prince or like a Hendrix. And we shouldn't get pigeonholed that they're all going to be rappers or we're all going to be, uh, you know, R&B. That, you know, yeah. uh, if you want to do like like jazz, like I want to go play like Sun Ra or Miles Davis. And that's not maybe what's popular today. That's not like playing like, you know, uh, mumble rap. Like, yeah, not that that's bad, but like that's not where my head's at. I'm not going to be a mumble rapper. I'm going to play more like Coltrane or Hendrix. <laughs> yeah. No you know? offense to the mumble rappers, because you guys do your thing, okay? Yeah, it's just, I but mean, it's like, when something yeah. gets big, then people expect everybody to be like in that thing, right? And so it's like, oh, where's your song? It's like, well, I don't do that. <laughs> right oh my god i know and as a songwriter and it's just like i'm expected to write all sorts of genres and i'm just like at this point i don't want to do you it you gotta write what you feel comforted about, about like if you're writing right you gotta do what you feel like if you feel yeah. trans then you feel trans right if you feel That's something I mean. else you feel for something else right so you go with yeah. what you feel you know you can do a good job right it's like if you know you can yeah. you can you understand it Right, and it's like, oh, I can do an EDM song because I under, I get it. Right, I could do a hip hop song because I get it. <coughs> I do a mumble rap song because yeah. I get it. You got to feel it. You know, if you don't feel it, it's not going to be authentic. I I think, and if people will feel will yeah. figure out that you're not authentic, and then it's like <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> I know, and I mean, look, I've had to be that person. It's like, okay, you got a songwriting session. Like that's what happened to me with Marcus Schultz, Summer Dream, is I found out about that session 
And I didn't even know what trance was, but I ended up getting a single on that record. You know, to me, I, you know, it was like trance is dance music, you know, so I knew, and I had some demos, but I hadn't had much experience. And, you know, somebody from Royalty Network had just sent me to the Marcus Stoll session. And mm-hmm. I, um, ended up writing one of the singles but to me i'm like okay i try to find out what the form is of the song to me i was like okay trance 128 i'm gonna write a pop song at 128 and that is trance so yeah i'm trance, yeah, we, okay well, i mean as a vocalist i think you can kind of fit in it's like i'm kind of the idea that like i kind of play by ear you know a lot so if i fit in with some guys right and i don't even know what they're doing right I can kind of just, okay, I hear what they're doing and I know what to fill in. So I think a lot of vocalists and lyricists, right, you hear you hear the basic tracks and then you figure out how yeah. to fit in, right? right. Whether it's like trance or country or whatever it is, you, you can kind of look, I hear the vibe, right? And in being a musician, you'll just naturally figure out how to come in. Yes. But it has to be an emotional thing when you're writing the song. And when yeah. you get these gigs, you have a job to do, right? first of all, so you better still be able to execute, even though you don't want to write a song, and you're not feeling it that day. You got a job to do, and you better go get the single. That's my mentality, at least. You know what I mean? And I've been doing it for so long that I know how to write it. I know how to make it happen. Do you think about, like, songwriters, the classic songwriter, like the Tin Pan Alley songwriters, right, back in New York? You had, like, Carly Simons. You had like, uh, you had all these great Neil Diamond. They were, like, in these areas in New York, right? And they were they were kind of like in these factories of songwriting. And they were kind of like what right. you're saying. They, they were kind of like, well, you guys got to make a hit, right? So they go but, write a song. Neil Diamond was after Tin Pan Alley, right? I think he was part of it. Because I thought like Tin Pan Alley was like the 20s, right? Like first well, broadway. Tin Pan Alley is the area. And in, into the 50s and 60s, there were songwriters wow. It came okay, out of that, right? wrong, right. wrong years. Okay, so it's fifties and sixties. Okay, yeah, so, not the so, get, okay. so Neil Diamond was a writer before okay. he became a big song, uh, a solo act, and so oh. like, like and so he had like a, a bunch of like Carol King, you know, yeah. wrote, like you know, it, it, it wrote, move yeah, she was one of those songwriters. She wrote songs for other bands. She was, um, like, she was writing yeah. songs for tons of bands, and then she decided in the 70s to come out and write her own song. And Neil Diamond was the same way. He had written all, he wrote songs for the Monkees, he wrote songs for like all these bands, and then suddenly it became the age of the singer-songwriter, so all these people who were writing these songs for bands suddenly decided, well, I can go out there and do it, because I'm giving all these guys, all these other bands, my songs. So I felt, yeah. That's what you're doing. It feels like that, like because you, 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 as a writer, and kind of like a, you know, like a production. Like it's almost like if you think about like a studio musician. Studio. I am. Yes, that's a hundred percent. After I came back from tour, um, I maybe was in my twenties, and I moved to LA. I think I was, and even before then, I was in a lot of sessions. But once I moved to LA, I made sure I was in a session every day for. Yes. Well, that's a musician. That's how you survive. If you want to be a music and like sometimes you're not going to be the name in lights in order to, to do it and be a working musician, you got to be a session player. You got to be a studio musician. You got to be somebody who goes on tour and does the backup, right. you know, and you, you, you do production work or whatever. 
and you know you can sit there like a Carol King for many years. She went and just wrote for other people, and yeah. you know, like Neil Diamond, like again, they wrote for other people. And then suddenly they said, you know, I'm going to have my day. I'm going to get out That's there, and then they, got, they got out there, and they got big. And it's 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 rare when you get a really good songwriter that suddenly is able to be that singer songwriter, and then it's their material, and they're able to control it, right? So they, yeah. they can get out there and have their voice exactly what they want. And that's when you yeah. get like this really awesome synergy. Like I love it talking to singer songwriters because it's cool to, to actually talk to the person who wrote the whole thing, you know, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's definitely, I think a lot of people start out, like I started out wanting to be an artist. I got good at being a songwriter because I wanted to be an artist. Mm -hmm. And I got so many labels being like, oh, well, you're so good in the studio. Mm -hmm. Like, you're such a good songwriter. Which one are you? Are you an artist or a songwriter? Because you, you can't be both. Well, you can't. You can't be both. You can't be both. Meanwhile, I'm an artist, a songwriter, a producer. I'm freaking in Logic and GarageBand. I'm like yeah. trying to do my own, mixing my own records, mastering my own records. It took 15 years to get good at this stuff. But I'll tell you what, if you're an artist out there, you can do it. You can yeah, you do to. all this stuff, even though people are going to be like, you can't do this. You can only do one. That's well, not that's true. Because the industry wants to segment, right? So they want to make a person, all, all you do is <laughs> top lines. All you do is studio. You're a studio musician. You're playing the bass, right? They want to separate it. So that there's certain niches and people are in those niches. But there's people who can do it all. And yeah. I'm one of them. Do you know what yep. I mean? There are people. Yeah. And if, if you just keep dis discouraging people, then how are they going to keep develop to develop their skills? But you only become good at things because you did it. Right? So if everybody's I mean, like, yeah, are you never... an artist? Like, it's like, no. You're not just an artist. Your job is to write hit songs. That's yeah, your job. You know, I think a, a lot of people get caught up in this idea that they got to work with a producer and they and, and they're not actually going to write the lion's share of the song, right? They're going to do the top line, they're going to sing it, right? But they're and they're probably right if they're not a hit songwriter. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. you're probably not writing a hit if that's like something that's happening in your session, like you, you know. How much copyright are you really getting on these songs? Like, let's yeah. look at the numbers, you know, yeah, because yeah, it's probably that producer, the mega producer is getting 80 percent. You're getting 20 or 10. Yeah, because he can write a song in 30 seconds because he does this breakfast, lunch and dinner and has been for 20 years. Yeah. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. The mega producers, they got the certain style and then they just rotate the vocalist in. They rotate other people in. And it's that really same template, they open it up. But hey, that's smart. You know, all these templates yeah. and how these producers work these days. I think um, Stephen Slate, I saw he has all these templates you can buy now. And you just open up your session and it just mixes for you. You have a vocal chain, you know, are you a female soprano or something? I think you probably yeah, yeah. put in like your characteristics of your voice and your sex. And then you're like, okay, you have a freaking vocal chain. They're like mixing and mastering for you. Like, it's just crazy what where we are but you obviously still need some skill set to like work you know uh, a door and you know you're not just putting out hopefully crap you know and just using these presets oh, yeah. but I I mean, that's kind of where, 
where I, I kind of like have been, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big purveyor of like old school recording. So I don't, okay. I don't even use a DAW. I, I, I pretty much just use all my hardware instruments and track it like old. Wow. Days. Okay. So, Still. Yeah. I don't use a DAW at all. I, I, I do everything. I track it manually. I play every note manually. I, so so it's just a different way of doing it. But that's not what yeah. people do because that's give you like a round of applause for that. Like, <laughs> well, that's because I feel like okay, if I'm gonna do it the way I want, that's gonna make my sound really different than anybody else's because I'm not using all these templates and I'm not using all these loops. I'm not using all that. I'm kind of just that's doing true. right, and so it's gonna come out a certain way. It's kind of like if you deal with a like a, a, a traditional rock band. If you think about like our Eddie Van Halen, he wasn't using any template. That's all the band playing that down, right? You get a band like you know, like Black yeah. Sabbath. That's all those bands. You know, you think about like, uh, in the same room. Yeah, yeah the guys yeah. actually putting it down. That's kind of the tradition I come from. Is actual like full rock bands that actually put stuff down. And art wow. uses stuff. So that's kind of like where I my head's at. But that makes me sound very young. So I mean, I'm like definitely in the doll. I grew up with the doll always yeah. in, in yeah. my sessions. Um, but props to you doing all that hard work, perfect performance over here, and the tone king, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's just a different style because I know there's so many people, I think the doll allows a lot of people to do music that maybe couldn't have done it before um and allows people to put yeah. down a, a level of perfection that you you would have to take six months to do before you would have had to go to sunset studios or olympia and actually yeah. have a full production team to be able to do it and now you can That's do right. it by yourself uh it, it's just a different there's still musicians that kind of want to do it the old way um and, right. and it's a certain level and it's harder I, I never tell anybody that doing it without a DAW is not easier. It, it's it, you're kind of making it hard on purpose because you want to do it that way. It's a choice, you know. So you you choose to do it that way because you're trying to do something a certain way. You're trying to, to so it's it's a goal that not everybody's going to want to do. But but it's something that more and more bands are starting to think about it because they want to sound less in the box. So if you want to sound right. less in the box, you got to sound more like a natural band, more like Yeah, like, it depends like, on the record and what yeah. kind of song you're making. It yeah. depends, you know, if you need a live drummer, there's no way that you could Sure, I I do okay, yeah, I do it. I'm on my keyboard and I'm like I'm the drummer. Come on. Nothing like but a real drummer. Quality. You know what yeah, I, mean? I mean? If you think about like it's different. <laughs> A Motown drummer, right? Think about modern drums today, right? Right. And go listen to a Motown song with a natural drummer. It right? is not a guy in his room going. Yeah, on the a natural you know, drummer you know, on like a Marvin Gaye song or a Supreme right. song or the Four it's Tops. Just wrong. It's you just wrong. It would just be wrong to do that. It's yeah. not how it's recorded. Yeah. You know, it's you get bands today that do like um, retro soul. So if you have a retro soul band, they'll actually get a real drummer, real bass player, real guitar players, and they'll put it down like Motown. And hey, keep, let's keep them jobs. Why yeah. are you taking away the drummer's jobs? Yeah. Well, I think there's something about that natural drum sound in a soul song 
like a Motown song or a Stack yes. song or like a Philly soul song. And we're all like, playing together, all yeah, playing together, you know, like a real horn section, like like trombones and saxes and trumpets. And there's something about that. Like if you listen to Earth, Wind and Fire, you can't do that in the box. You know, it, it, it's very it's difficult. Different. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I've made pop funk records and they sound phenomenal. Um, but they are not earth, wind, and fire. Like, you have to have the groove. We're talking about musicians so locked in. They rehearse together. They wrote yeah. the song together. It's like a living, it's like, it, it's like the Grateful Dead, right? It's not punk. You, you ain't going to sound like the Grateful Dead unless you're like a hippie, right? Like, the whole idea of the Grateful Dead was this hippie aesthetic, right? The Dead used to play six-hour concerts. They used to go and do two, one song for an hour. <laughs> one song yeah. for an hour. You know, it's, a, it's, a di it's a different type of vibe. It's like it's not a two-minute song. It's like an hour long song. <laughs> you know? I know. It's, so, so it's a different type of thing that when you go that way, it, it, it demands like a different aesthetic. And so, but to me, it's like everything is cool. And like I said, like, like not everybody wants to listen to an hour-long Grateful Dead song. Some people want to hear a two-minute trance song or EDM song, right? Because they don't have the patience for an hour-long song. <laughs> right. Like, I, I mean, I have friends who are into that, and I just can't do it. You know, my my classical mind is like, where's the melody? Where is the form? Like, why is it not, like, catchy? Like, I'm like, I just can't, like, do it, you know? And I'm like, hey. This is where everybody has different tastes in music, guys. So, you know what I mean? Everybody's yeah. going to like a different thing. But I think it's just music is just, you know, to me, it's a, it's kind of personal taste. Like, everybody has, you know, some people use music to kind of zone out, right? Some people use it to go jogging. Some people sit with a vinyl record listening to Pink yeah. Floyd every single line, right? Because they want to know the whole story. Right. Some people listen to music and they want to hear a rock opera and they actually want to know a story. Right. Yeah. And so they want they, some people just want it to relax and, to, you know, fall asleep. Some people want to use it for other, whatever they want to use it for. And so everybody. Yeah. It's just personal yeah. decisions. Like I just want to hear the bass and I don't even care what somebody's singing. Right. There's a lot yeah. of people that bounce the songs. And they have no idea what the lyrics are. And if they did, they probably were like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> you know? Oh, God. I don't even know my lyrics half the time. So <laughs> I understand. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some people are so beat focused, it doesn't really matter what the singer says. It's like it's more what the beat is. Um, That's uh, true. And many and so culturally, music, like, what is that, Galamian? I know they have like it's all bells or all rhythmic. So. I, I sometimes I like to listen to foreign music, right? So I don't know. I was listening to an Italian singer. I have no, I can't really, I don't understand Italian, but I like uh -huh. the way it sounded, right? It's like if you go to opera, right? If you okay. go to the opera, you're going to hear all this Italian, you're going to hear all this Latin, and right. you might not know what it means, but you, you hear the beauty in the song. And that's called bel canto because you're hearing old Italian opera or something that would be like, oh my god, the most beautiful time of beautiful, singing. But you don't even know what it means if you're not that dedicated. You might not right. know exactly what they're saying, but but you yeah, can unless you're Italian. Yeah, but you can appreciate the beauty of it. Right? You know what I mean? So yes, 
Can I, I love Il Volo. <laughs> They're my, uh, you got to check out Il Volo um, if you like Italian uh, singing. I think that these guys are. They're like a boy band. They're very famous, but that's they're cool. wonderful. I've been to a lot of like Chinese and Japanese music. Oh uh, my god, that's cool! I'm gonna need you to send me some of that because I really cool. <laughs> need to listen to more Chinese music for sure. Well, it's it's this interesting their approach, and then the language has different beauty in it. And sometimes it's like people say, "Oh, you should get the translation." I say, "The thing is, like in certain languages, if you translate it, it doesn't it doesn't sound right, right?" You, you actually have to hear it in its language in the native language to really feel it. Like, yeah, like I was talking to a spoken word Italian poet, and she would, and I did an interview with her, and all of her poetry is in Italian. And if you translate it, it loses a lot of what it really means because it's very Italian focused what she's talking about. Yeah. And so if you try to translate it, you lose the intention. And so That's I right. actually like to listen to it in Italian just because it sounds what it, the way it's supposed to. <laughs> yeah, like the feeling of it. And you don't know what you're they're saying, but you feel it. Yeah, you feel it. You can feel it as a human being. You yeah. don't have to always know every word to kind of get yeah. the emotion. I think your your ears and your, your mind can kind of pick up the heart in it. And if yeah. it, it, you don't have to be Oh, I don't know what some, but some people are like that. Like if they don't understand what it is, they can't even listen. You know, some people are are such that that they have to know what it's what it's what it means, or they don't want to listen. But it's a, yeah, it's a, yeah. So I mean, that's a, a different type of person. I think as you get into music, as an appreciate as a fan, I'm a fan of music probably before being a musician, and so yeah. I kind of opened up to so many genres and so many different things that I don't mind listening to a russian punk band and i don't know what they're saying <laughs> right. but i feel what they're doing right i listen to That's a poll true band. i know yep i, I love band. this that we're just getting into like we're just talking about like there's so much music out there it's crazy but love that but i just think it's it's cool to to know <coughs> the musician that that you should you know appreciate music kind of for what what it is and to not try to make it, you know, into something. I think you, you, when you love something and you think it's beautiful, you kind of accept what it is, right? You don't try to put expectations on it. You do, you, you get, you, you see it or you feel it. And, and then suddenly like you kind of let it speak to you and, and, yes. and if you don't have any preconceived notions about it. You just let it present itself. Then I think you can enjoy it. Yeah. And that's kind of how I feel composing is as well. Like it shouldn't be some laborious process of like, why can't I write a song? It should just let it happen and just feel it and just be in your body and just hear it and just flow with it. You know what I mean? I think that's a really good tip I've given to many people who are looking to get into songwriting is just throw out all the stuff that's in your brain that's making it so hard. Just so think of it as like, I'm going to like yeah. go take a walk. I'm going to go do the dishes. I'm going to pet my dog. I'm hanging out. Maybe a song comes in. Maybe you're not writing a song that day. You know, like don't make it a struggle. Because as soon as you're kind of like resisting, then you're going to have resistance in your composition. You're not going to, you're not going to have problems. Yeah. So I was wondering like, so when you write, 
do you find that you mostly like the feel that you just kind of like <clears throat> i started in poetry right so this idea in poetry is that there's a muse right and it means that there's this outside inspiration that somehow the lines are coming from outside of you right that somehow you tapped into it and i think a lot of times musicians once you have a certain skill set as a musician right you can you hear something and then you automatically know what goes with it right and, and, yeah. and you you can feel it so if somebody gives you like a baseline you know what to put with it right if somebody gives right. you a chord you know how what to do with it and it just kind of people like it don't know how to create don't understand how musicians or creative people can do that but it just like seems yeah. to come out of nowhere but it really isn't nowhere it's like all your experience as a musician right. is like muscle memory it's like musical that memory is exactly it uh -huh. and you kind of know what goes with what and you can feel right. something and you know what to do and, and it's like yes. people who aren't creative don't understand it because they don't create <laughs> right and it and if you're starting the creative process too, it can be hard because you don't know how or you don't know what to do, right? Like you're like, should I rewrite my song 10 times? Mm -hmm. like, you know what I mean? You're like, no, yeah, Cindy, yeah. like stop. <laughs> like, stop rewriting anything. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you kind of have a gut feel. I think if you're you're if you've been a musician for a long time, you have a gut feel for what your best effort is right and and you know sometimes i find myself like i might go into something and i might go overdub something like 10 times right but then kind of trying to be a perfectionist right but then i yeah. go back and i say like the third take might have mistakes in it but it actually is so much better than the last seven yeah i rather go with that one because that one feels better and i'll accept whatever errors in it because it actually right. is a better track and that's hard yeah. to like show people sometimes you have to accept some level of imperfection to actually have something that's good that's true i mean and but you're specifically talking about in the recording process right i'm talking about in the composition process but i do agree with you and you know that overdubbing something and having having the record sound absolutely right is is meant for the record and solely that purpose of making that right but in the composition period i feel like it should be you don't have to rewrite it 10 times right like you shouldn't be so conflicted if you're beginning do you know what i mean because you yeah, you yeah. like doubt yourself demo. well i think the you initial know? demo you let it be what it is right so yes if you, and you if need to follow your inner ear yeah. Like, what do you think sounds good? What it's not about you, though, it's about the music as well. That's what I like to tell people. It's not even up to you. It's like, where does this go? What yeah, chord goes it, here? Yeah. Where's this melody going? And where are we harmonically going to support the melody? You know, and that's how I, I write. It's like, here, if you hear or you hear progression, you're going to fill in the melody mm -hmm. in, in that progression. But it, it should it should be easy. And I try to tell people, like, just try to relax and just let it happen. And so you, you feel like, like I, 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 over time, what I've done, like when I was younger, you know, with my band, we would start, stop, start, stop. When you're with like four yeah. guys in the basement, right? You, you start, stop all the totally. time, right? Totally. I know. <laughs> yeah. You're all arguing over. <laughs> Argue about what should be what. But, but then like if you go by yourself and you're on the piano, right? Or you're on your guitar. Right. 
I would just let the tape play and put something down, right? And then it's like, yeah. I'm not going to keep on starting and stopping. I'm going to yeah. actually put down the complete thought and then maybe I'll do another variation of it, but I'll let it be sure. yes. a stream of consciousness, this kind of complete thought. And then it's like later I might tweak it, but I'll let the demo be what it is. Correct. And that's what I believe is songwriting. Just that process right there. Because you let that happen, you know, before just rewriting and stopping and doubting yourself. You know what I mean? Like stopping yourself before you could create something. So you just need to let that happen. And hey, if you only have a chorus, that's fine. If you only have a phrase, whatever. Like maybe you'll come back to it and that's that's okay. But don't like be like, I've been rewriting this song for 10 years. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yes. even though I look, I've done that too, but I also put out hit songs and make sure I do a job. But I'm also crazy enough to rewrite a song for 10 years or more. But yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, I do there's this always, for fun. There's always like the story, like, I don't know if you've heard, like, Bruce Springsteen took six months to do Born to Run. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just kept, on recording, kept on recording it, recording it, recording it, recording it. And it just was never done, right? It wasn't like the band complained that like it wasn't natural, right? They just kept on hitting this song over and over six months. They just kept on hitting it, right? And they, yeah. and it's like, like that seems like a very torturous thing to do. But I guess yes. they were, but they were trying to get this Phil Spector wall of sound with it. I, trust me, I understand, and I've done the same thing with my best friend Tim Young. We have a song called Cat Fancy. That still isn't released, and that we have had over who knows how many mixes and artists that we've kicked off the song, that we've added to the song, we've like revamped the song. We have people talking never done. Song never done. You know, you, you always have a song like you have these expectations for it, and then you don't <laughs> like it, right? And then if yeah. you have a band listen to it, like they probably like the first version, like without the overdubs, it's like. I like I like this version like with just a acoustic guitar. I don't need all this layer. Like, just do this I one. I feel like the point is is the point is is never released. Like that's yeah. the that's the only sentence that matters or words was never made in anywhere. Like yeah. well, I think sometimes done. the things that you have to spend so much time on you don't release because it's like the things that are more natural are easier to kind of handle. You know, yes, and this was a pet project, it was something we were both had. It was for fun, of course. We're you know, we're both seasoned songwriters, we're not you know, rewriting because we're at a loss yeah, for, for you know, a yeah. melody or something. Yeah, you're going for something like I've been with bands, and like you know, people wouldn't agree on the direction, right? You know, so nobody agreed, so then they couldn't put it out because nobody agreed on the way. It should oh, be. god, all right, now, and that's why you don't write with your band. <laughs> Well, some bands are kind of like they, they like to, you know. I've been in bands where everybody kind of had 25, 25, four piece band, right? Oh, God. And it's kind of hard because it's like everybody got a vote. And one yeah. of those, like, I'm kind of like that. Later, I had bands where like I was doing 80%, and that, that worked better. <laughs> Wait, what? What did you say that you were doing 80%? I was doing like pretty much writing all the parts. Yeah. I, I pretty much would like, like that better. It. Okay, that's funny. Yeah. Well, I liked it better just because it was like <laughs> a problem 
with people disagreeing. I have allergies, with. by the way. This isn't COVID, all the coughing. I think sometimes it's like the, everybody has an equal say and nobody agrees and then it never gets done. And so right. it's like somebody has to take the lead and make a decision. And so what I found yeah. is like, okay, if you have a situation where you have a band where like, I, I, know, I know what I want and then the other guy's kind of, okay, they agree with it and they put their piece in but they kind of agree with the, like the overall blueprint of the song. Right. And then they, they, like the bass player is going to do a better bass than my bass. I, it might as a keyboard bass, right? So a real bass yeah. player is going to play that better. Right. So I was right. like, fine. He take my original idea and make it better. Like and take the drummer, takes my drum machine 808 and makes a real drum out of it. And it makes that better. But yes. the original idea of it might've been all mine. And then it gets made into something that still has like a lot of what I wrote in the demo is still there. It's yeah. just got better. And so the whole point is like, if you can if you have a band that can take your demo and make it better, that's what yes. you want. You don't want to take the demo and make it worse. <laughs> like the Beatles, I guess. The Beatles is a good example of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they can take like John and Paul would write something and Ringo and George Harrison would add to it and make it better than what it was. Right. But how often... Do you have John Lennon, Paul McCartney, yeah. Nina keep going, George Harrison, you know and what Mango I mean? Star, yeah. Like, and let's be real. Then you have George Martin, the fifth Beatle, who's their yeah. producer, who adds right. all the backward tape loops and all the other stuff and the orchestration, and he kind of knew what to do. So he I would think it's too many cooks in the kitchen. I think so, yeah. because, I mean... I don't know. I think four people sometimes writing a song. I don't want to write a song with four people, personally. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I don't, I don't want to write a song with four people. Sorry, my earring keeps getting caught. Um, no, I think no. It's, 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 it's a hard thing to do. I think it's like it's hard to get like, you know, agreement. Like You have bands like Pink Floyd. The whole band would mix. They'd go into the studio, and every member would be on the mixing board mixing their part. Right? And yeah. so they... they so that's they kind of cool, actually. It's kind of cool because they actually what happened was then you know the bass player made sure that his bass line was heard. The keyboard yeah. player made sure that his part was was heard in the way that they thought it should be heard, and the singer made sure his part and then the guitar. So it, it what happened was it was like okay, they all agreed like in a democracy, and yeah. it came out better. And it and it wasn't a lot of conflict, they seemed to agree on the direction. So you had a and situation. Pink Floyd. Yeah, the Pink Floyd is famous yeah. for making like like the Wall and Wish You Were Here and all these great albums, and they have a lot of complexity. If you listen to them, there's a lot of layers. There's a lot of stuff going on, and yeah. they all had a part in it, and they all made decisions. So that's where it kind of worked, where you had like that's true. Okay, yeah. So it, it can work if you have good, you have a good relationship in the band. I guess you know what it is. I don't need other people to write my songs. But some people are like like Prince. Well, like you're like a print. Like Prince yeah. could do it all by yourself. He's like you're like that, yeah. right? You can do it all right. by yourself. Yeah. Some exactly. people are like, so it's like I don't. I don't. Not that I don't really want you. Kind of don't want you, but I don't need you. But I would love to write with amazing songwriters who all they do is songwrite. Because mm -hmm. just because you're a drummer doesn't make you a songwriter. Yeah, do you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. I mean, like, some people could like let it go, and it's like, okay, <laughs> the drummer's going to add to it, and he's not exactly the songwriter, but he's maybe added a better piece than what I could have done on my tap. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
But the worst is when, like, the drummer's telling you, oh, maybe the smell of it is better. And you're like, oh, my Lord. <laughs> yeah, I think some people don't appreciate it if a drummer tells you to change your chord progression. Then, then, then you're right, like, like certain things that a drummer shouldn't do. Like you go write the rhythm section. Like, please yeah. do you? You know, I'll write the melodies and whatever. And unless you run into a guy like a Don Henley who actually could sing and do the drums for the Eagles. So Don there you Henley, go. Okay, right. He was a singer, yeah. right? And he so could play guitar. So many drummers out there, by the way. I have a lot of friends who are drummers. Not to say yeah. you're not good songwriters. But, you know, if you get like a Phil Collins, right, you know, Phil Collins what is, is a drummer and a singer for Genesis, right? He was yeah. famous for being able to drum and to be able to sing. So he kind of knew if, if, if Tony Banks, the keyboard player, should play a different arrangement because he's singing the okay. song. Right? He so, knew when those drums would come in, like bah, 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 bah. he would do the drums, but he, he also it. could actually tell the guitar player and the keyboard player maybe they should change what they're doing to fit where his voice was coming in. Right, so, like the chords and yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's where you have a singer like a Don Henley is a drummer singer. Phil Collins is a drummer singer. Um, um, there's there's from the from the famous Canadian band, the band. I used to play, to play drums as well too, so I grew up. I played drums too, so that is part That's of the music. You can do everything. <laughs> it, I it, know, it's... I know. Yeah. <laughs> I can do anything. Well, it's, I think it's good to be able to be on. You, like you know guitar, right? You yeah. also you you knew what you did. You could do violin. Violin, guitar, singing, drums. I mean, bass is pretty piano, much guitar. Besides the piano. other two, last two strings. I play, I mean, I'm not a classical pianist, so I don't like to say that I play piano because I don't play piano, but I can play, you know what I mean? I can play well, well like root positions. Yeah. Very well. I, I, well, I think it's interesting, though. Some people kind of go down this thing, right? Like, 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 if you're a guitar player, right, you can't play like Hendrix or you can't play like Van Halen, so you say you can't play guitar, right? But if a singer-songwriter picks up a guitar and you write a song from your heart, that guitar will sound really good if you play it with your song. And you might yeah. not be as technically good as Hendrix or Zappa or any great guitar player, right? But for that song, you're the best player, right? So sometimes... It, not having like perfect capability, but being a singer songwriter, you could actually play a keyboard part or a guitar part that actually That's really true. fits what you're doing. That's true. I just don't want to offend any classical pianists out there because I yeah. don't like to say that I'm a piano player, but I've also had people bring in a piano player during a session and be like, why am I here? They're like, you play better than me. And That's then I'm, I'm like, saying, sometimes the songwriter, what, what I'm trying to say is songwriters, yeah. Sometimes it's better if you actually play the instrument than somebody else because you know the song. As yeah. a singer-songwriter, right, you know, and maybe there are technically people better than you, but emotionally you actually did a better choice in what you chose to play. But as a session musician, shouldn't they be able to, like, come on. You know what I mean? If you're a keyboard player or pianist, it's like you better, and you call yourself that, you better show up to the session ready to be a chameleon and to kill that record, you yeah. know? 
Yeah, you should be able to, but I'm saying being, I'm, right. I'm kind of of the mind that it's cool to have singer songwriters that actually play a guitar yeah. thing and they don't have to be like Bob Dylan's not the most perfect guitar player in the world. Right. But when he okay. plays his guitar with his right. songs, it fits his voice. Right? Yeah. And it actually works better than, than guitar players. They're 10 times better than him. Sometimes there are, yeah. there are songs that when he actually plays it, it fits better. So that's what I'm saying. So even, even technically you could have somebody that could do better, but sometimes like when you play it yourself, yeah. it fits what you're doing. That's so true, actually. Okay. I'm hearing that. I'm hearing that because there's a certain element of emotional connection that you also have to the song. That's that's yeah, nobody's and, and gonna even understand. If guy's technically better, they might not be feeling the mood you're in, right? So right, where the accents to... are and the dynamics yeah. that you're hearing, because you have to translate that as a songwriter producer and be like, okay, you know, we're gonna have a dynamic that happens here. And it has to be, and if you play it, then you can really help the arrangement for yeah. sure. Definitely. Right. It's very right. observant. It's yeah, true. I think that's in the 70s. You used to see a lot of that. You used to see a lot of people that decided to just play it themselves. And a good example is people didn't realize that Karen Carpenter played drums. Right? She's a drummer. Yeah. And she played drums on a lot of Carpenter records. And wow. um, she was told to not do it when she played live. But if you listen to the Carpenter records and those drums are because Karen actually felt where those parts should go. And, and there maybe were guy drummers that could do a better job or whatever. But right. what she felt and how she played them, those parts, yeah. she actually did a better job because she 100%. actually yeah. feel it. Yeah. So that's why I'm getting a good example is like people didn't realize that she actually can play and she there are actually some video of her playing some classic Carpenter songs on the drums with a mic. And seeing oh her my God, I need to look that up. I think I might have seen that, but yeah, I forgot she played drums. Yeah, and it's beautiful. Because when you see her, that voice, and then she actually is feeling the drums, and it, it just so Crazy. perfect. It's really I perfect. Yeah, it's awesome. Because it kind of, it, I try to, <clears throat> I like to tell like young, young female like people who are in bands, like young women. And I'm like, you know, look at Karen Carpenter playing the drums on these songs. I actually showed one the girl I was working with. And I was like, that is, is so awesome. It's like, you, you, if you can play the drums and sing, you should try it. Because it's like very powerful if you can get that across. I think that can. I don't think I'd be able to do that because it's a hard thing to do. But if you can't, if you actually can do it, but you rather be up front, I'm kind of the guy that I think, as a fan, I like to see. I actually like seeing Karen Carpenter behind the drums more than seeing her in front of the mic. I I I thought that that was like more impressive to me. But but oh well, it's so much harder to do. I mean, and with her voice and the way she sings, it's like to support properly while playing the drums not being out of breath and hitting those notes and making, you know, smooth lines. And when she like, did it, it was like really yeah. beautiful to see her do it. And seeing her do it, I was like, wow, I just, I love that's it. so crazy. That's like, <laughs> I mean, she's Karen Carpenter, of course. It makes yeah. so much sense. That's like, you know, 
like everybody has somebody you look up to. And it's like, I, I, I would say like Karen Carpenter and Jimmy Hendrix. It's like, how can you put those two in the same thing? But like, if you think about yeah. songwriter or singer songwriter, like Karen was so amazing in, in how she could deliver a song. And I think it really is a good lesson to any songwriter. If you listen to a Carpenter song and you watch, you watch a video of her singing and you see oh, what, what she puts into it. That oh, to me is yeah. like, if you're gonna do it, you should like do it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that <laughs> is a really good point. I, I didn't think you were gonna say that, but when you brought that up, I was like, when you do it, you should really do it. Yeah, you can't go out there half half butted. You yeah, gotta I mean, go you out there. And and like you, she looks like she's putting her whole soul into it, you know. Yeah, that, that that to me, and maybe that's too much because. I think some people are like, well, I don't know if I can give that much because then that's like, I don't have anything left for me. But there are some artists like when they perform, they kind of give so much of themselves that it's like really powerful. And I think if you can yeah. do it, you should try to do it. <laughs> I love that. And I, I try to give myself on stage for sure. And I, I love that vulnerability when you feel like they're just, telling a story it's like acting you know what i mean like you have to like emote and and that's half of the part half of the battle on stage obviously the technical part and then being a good musician and then you have to be musical i mean musical is emotion if there is no emotion in your music it's not music right this is a question like when you are on stage do you feel like you become somebody else or do you feel you're still yourself like, do you have like a stage self that's different than your normal self? Like, if you go to perform, do you feel that that is the same person that's talking to me yeah. as the person that sings? It is because all my songs are written about my life, and I've always written from a very honest place. So when I'm performing, I'm emoting to feel because I learned the first thing in music is if you don't have a connection and in, in the feeling to the other audience people it's not music so it's very important not only the technical but you also have to connect in a way that makes people feel otherwise it's not music you know that's 101 that's what my mom taught me very young <laughs> yeah i think that that's an important thing because you don't want to be like what they say like phoning it in <laughs> <laughs> i love that term for that no, because yeah. I've been with bands like, you know, and, 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 you know, you get into a groove and you keep on playing the same thing every night and you got the set list, right? And then, like, if it becomes boring for you, right, if you're not excited, like, the whole reason I got into music is, like, I want to be excited about doing it. Yes. I would never want to be in a position where, like, every night I'm feeling like I'm just phoning it in and I, well, I don't really care. You know, it's like... <laughs> no, but it's like if it becomes like a nine to five job, it's like what? Why am I doing it? And like right. that's not. Who wants to, to see be. that? Nobody wants to see that. You go to a show for an experience, so you better deliver. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And yeah. and I think that's being a professional. That's part of being a professional. If if you can't sell them and and emote and connect with your audience and that emotional delivery, you got to work on that in your performance for sure. It's very important. Yeah, I think it's like it's just like you got to get to a point where you're not just, um, you know, you don't want to be like Millie Vanilli and like vo just voicing over something. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> for sure. I mean, I don't know. I guess it's just something you have to learn too as a musician. And if nobody tells you that tip, it is very integral to connecting because nobody wants to just hear you go up there and just la la la. la. They yeah. they need to feel it. Otherwise, they're not going to be your fan. They're not going to connect with you. You've got to connect. You know, that's, that's how good. you make fans. That's one thing. Like when I used to go see Prince, man, I just saw Prince a bunch of times. Oh my God. You know, I've seen him one time. It was crazy. I've seen him like three, four times. But, um, and the coolest time I ever saw him was at Paisley Park. And he used to, like, in his house, like in, in Minneapolis. Where is that? Is that in Brooklyn? Paisley Park? No, in, no, Paisley Park's in Minneapolis. Oh, okay. Yeah, Prince is from Minneapolis. But um, Paisley okay. Park is um, his, his studio. He built a house that's his studio. He has this big, like, wow. production cool. facility. After he, after he did Purple Rain, he went and took a bunch of money, millions of dollars, and he built this giant production facility that's his studio in his house, right? And so okay. in his house had, like, three studios with, like, professional equipment so he could just record everything there. He had sound stages. He had movie stages in there. You could, you could film stuff. He filmed some of his movies in yeah. there. Um, and wow. so... If you went to go see him at that place, he had a whole stage, and you could see him with his band play in the and, house. Yeah, not, it, well, it's not just a normal house; it's like a mansion. <laughs> right, it, right. It had, it's like a record like facility. It, it's like it had right. like, yeah. It's like an auditorium. Like if you ever okay. seen the movie Sign <laughs> of the Times, he actually filmed Sign right. of the Times at Paisley Park. Paisley Park had like an auditorium inside of it. That's his what house. is the Sign of the Times? Sign of the Times is one of his albums. One okay. It's a double album from '87. Um, and, okay. and he actually did a film at Paisley Park for the album, and and it's him playing live at Paisley Park. But uh, but the, the the thing I'm saying is like when I went to see him, he had this ability to change his songs. He wouldn't play them the same way, and so when when you saw him in a small setting with maybe four or five hundred people. He would do alternate versions of his songs that had different lyrics, different lines, everything. He didn't do it the same way. And if you would see him at different nights, he would actually change it. And I thought that that was cool because it felt like like he didn't he didn't feel like he had to keep it the same way. He felt like yeah. if he wanted to change it, he'd change it based on however he felt. You know, and if he felt a certain way, he was going to change the song. And I think that's kind of cool. You know, definitely. Me, I, I like that because it gives me, it gave me variation. You know, and if, as a Prince collector, I collect a lot of Prince material, and I've got multiple variations of songs he wrote. The way he has different versions, and it's like you know he he he'd hold it and then change it, and you know there's, yeah. there's versions of songs he had like <clears throat> in 1978 that he released in like '87. And he had that song structure in 78. And then he, he released it in like 87. So he had songs he would hold on for years and, and then put them out. And he, you know, would, would just change them. And it's just, I think it was just really cool to, to have a guy like that that did that kind of level of stuff. Yeah, um, definitely. I love that. Well, you always got to mix it up. Yeah. Live, for sure. It's part of the show. You know, yeah, it's just cool to have have that kind of live capability. You know, they, you know I mean, there's some people today that want to hear the same as the record. You know, they just want to hear the song the way it was on the record. 
but then you know i like to hear bands that actually mix it up <laughs> yeah and there's also some people who will lip sync it too well yeah <laughs> And then you catch them when the tape breaks, and you're like, like, hey, keep, hey, yeah, keep then you're like, <laughs> <laughs> are you trying to do that for real? It's like, no, I guess it's uh, it's it's skipping. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but hey, you know, I understand that certain shows, like if you're doing the Super Bowl, you know what yeah. I mean? Like certain shows have like probably so much money is in, involved in that. It's like. Who well, knows I think also there's a lot of chore if you have dancers and you have a lot of choreography, I can understand that for the dancers you might have to keep things stable, right? And so yeah. if you have to keep it stable, then you have to have it kind of set, right? Going off the DAW on a loop and on a bunch of sequence tracks that are multi-track, right. and maybe you have some that are muted and some are not muted, and you're doing some of them live and some of them aren't. Some of them are uh -huh. just going off the machine. But like, if you don't have a, a bunch of dancers doing a choreographed routine, then I'm like, why do you have to have it so tight? You, you know, why don't you just play it? <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of behind, I'd rather play it. They'll always have the tempo and then there'll be a backing track. So the drummer has to have the in-ears going on and then they're yeah. playing that to a click. Because it must be in time with the, the fake vocals, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're coming out. Yeah, so that's the thing. Is like I'm kind of, I kind of come from the age before you had all these backing tracks. Yeah. You actually had, like, people singing the backing tracks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, or people playing. So what happened is, like, maybe you got 30, like, what is that? <laughs> maybe you've got 32 <laughs> tracks, but you only pay, play what you can physically play right so back in the day when i was playing right you might have 16 tracks on your on your on your recorder right but when you go to play live you only play like you know six of them because that's all your band could play right okay. so you didn't try to do it you just played a version the live version the live version doesn't sound like the studio version the studio version is its own version right so when you right. go to play live you you don't have to do the click track you just play it you know, and so that's that's a different type of thing. It's hard to get people to do that anymore. <laughs> okay, hold on. Sorry, I I got to pick up my dog because he's he needs some well, cuddles. We're probably, we're probably near the end. We've gone a little long, but um, well, I do thank appreciate you for having me, Keith. I yeah. really enjoy talking to you, and I feel like we've touched on some important subjects and very uh, musical conversations. I love to just kind of go, you know, into it kind of stream of consciousness <laughs> um, me too i mean that's we're just having a convo so thank you everybody for tuning in <laughs> well i think your dog wants some loving so i let you have <laughs> uh, i know he's like mommy this is mommy, real. I want to talk to you. Little. he doesn't yeah. want to turn. let's see if we can get his face honey do yeah, i see honey. that he's um he needs attention <laughs> he needs a lot yeah he does but thank okay. you for having me. Yeah, this really will be um, with the permanent links I will send you, and um, it's it's gonna also get converted for all your fans. We're we're gonna be on Spotify. We're gonna be on okay. Apple Podcasts within an hour. Um, I'll, you'll start seeing that happen. Okay, perfect. Um, yeah, send me a link, and then okay. I'll promote it. Okay, thank you. We'll Thanks, Keith. Yeah, bye. bye.